It's September 18th, 2011, and this is The Candid Frame. Passion for photography is something that we all share. Whether it was born in a traditional darkroom or when gazing at the back of a HDSLR, it's the pursuit of making the next best image that helps inspire us. But when you combine that desire with a passion for teaching, it takes the art for more than just another means of self-expression and makes it a way by which one can help another discover their own voice. Julia Dean has been doing this for years now, in a role as both a photographer and an educator. The Julia Dean workshops have provided students the opportunity to learn from some of the world's best photographers in an intimate and supportive environment. And it's all been born from our undying love and respect for the craft of photography. So sit back and enjoy our conversation with Julia Dean. Well, Julia, welcome to the Candid Frame. I really appreciate um, you taking the time to to appear on the show. We got a little background noise that we're going to have to contend with here, but uh, that's okay because there's actually a working dark room in this space, which is which is kind of cool. Um, I, I was reading about you, and I and I saw that you had a formal education in photography and photojournalism. So that tells me that you had an attraction to photography before you got into school. So why don't you tell me? A little about the inspiration that got you into this into this business into the business of photography as a photographer or yeah. as a, a school or photography period oh okay well geez that started so long ago <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, fifth grade my parents gave me a camera and about the same time uh, one of my neighbors went to Switzerland and I thought that sounded like you know as far away as Mars and I was so excited that she was going somewhere um, that that uh, I'd ne- never been and never even thought of going to. And so um, that kind of sparked my interest in, in the rest of the world um, and in taking pictures. And then one thing led to another. And in high school, I took lots of pictures. And, and then in uh, college, uh, or actually my senior year, one of my girlfriends came back and gave me an 8 by 10 black and white picture that she'd printed in a dark room in college and I I couldn't believe it I'd never known that you could take a class in photography and mm-hmm. so I was so excited about the idea that I went to college the next year and declared my major journalism just so that I could take the photography classes and that's kind of how it all started so so it was in college that you started thinking about becoming a journalist or was it just, just that you just wanted to make make photographs well interesting question because I I, I don't think I really even knew what the um, possibilities were out there for people as photographers. Uh, there's so many different things you can do as a photographer in different areas in which you can work. And um, I, I don't really think I knew of any of them. I just started, I just wanted to take pictures. And, and, and so um, as I started learning more, then I, then I realized that there were different ways uh, of, of making a living as a photographer. And, and um, after I'd taken all the classes that I could at the University of Nebraska, then I decided I wanted more education in photography, and I transferred and went to RIT in Rochester, New York, and that's where I got my undergrad degree in photography. And uh, it still wasn't photo. It still wasn't then that I knew I wanted photojournalism. It wasn't until my first overseas trip in 1984 
I think I was like 29 or something at the time. I remember thinking it had taken me a long time to, to finally make this dream come true of travel. Uh, it was then that I decided I really loved doing documentary work because I started photographing in Greece in a small island. And, and I just loved the pictures. And then I decided I just wanted to photograph, you know, in documentary style and photojournalism. And so then I went back and got my master's in journalism uh, a little later with a few experiences in between. <laughs> Well, the 70s and the 80s were was a great time for documentary work. I mean, you had Mary Ellen Mark. Right. and she was and, a big inspiration. And, you know, other, and other photographers like that. Who were you taking your inspiration from at, at, at the time? Because, you know, you were discovering it as, as you were learning it at the same time. So I'm kind of curious in terms of who, who were you following and, and how did they help guide your career? Well, I'd say there's a lot of people, um, photographers, who've inspired me along the way. Uh, when I was an early photographer, again, I didn't even realize that there was a history to photography. And so as I learned more and I took more classes and so forth, once I got to RIT, I took the history of photography. Then I started learning about all these people, and the ones that interested me the most were the pioneering photographers who were women because I knew that it was hard enough to be a photographer as a man, but it must have been really hard to be as a woman back then, um, you know, 1920s, I'm thinking. And I had uh, studied under a, I'd studied a bunch of different people, and I, one of them that I'd studied was uh, Bernice Abbott. And uh, long story short, um, I ended up living and studying with Bernice Abbott for a year, and it was all due to the experience of uh, that history of photography class that taught me even who she was to, to allow that opportunity. That must have been fascinating because that generation of photographer, they didn't have any formal education. They they kind of found their way into learning the, the technique, the process, which definitely wasn't inexpensive. Um, and, and on top of that, all the challenges of, of, of being a woman in class. And so what were some of the things that you learned from her that you, you felt you never could have learned from school? That's a that's a really good question. It's she she taught me so much. I mean, I I I had gotten my degree at, at RIT. Well, actually, my last ten hours uh, that gave me the degree was was uh, apprenticing with her. We ended up talking the school into allowing me to finish while while apprenticing with her, which seemed a, a reasonable thing to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so. She, she she taught me so many things. I mean, real life things. And and when she talked about the twenties, it wasn't just me reading my history of photography book and seeing pictures that she took about of of uh, James Joyce and Edna Saint Vincent Millay and, and Ernest Hemingway and all these folks that were famous in Paris in the twenties. Um, she was telling me stories about them and you know, lunch that she'd had with someone and a, and a photo session that she'd had with someone and and so it was just like history. Uh, coming to life and and it was fascinating and wonderful and and the, I, I've just after a year I've just finished a, a book about this time um, back then and when I was in college I told my history of photography teacher about this opportunity and he was very excited for me and he and he uh, strongly recommended that I keep a journal and he, he really uh, kept after me to, to make sure I did that. And so I, I really listened uh, to him, and I started keeping a journal from the moment that I was with her. And 32 years later, I pulled these journals out and reread them, and there's just wonderful information, quotes from Bernice and technical information and drawings about how we printed things. And and so it's a, it's, it's a wonderful thing. Plus there's a lot of photographs that were taken of, of Bernice and uh, of, of, of people in Maine. And, and so 
as of uh, this afternoon, we're finishing the book and sending it to the printer tomorrow, and then I'm hoping to find a publisher uh, for it uh, in the future. Oh, that's fantastic. Congratulations on completing that. I look forward to seeing that. That, that sounds like it would be fascinating because you learn a lot about photographers from looking at their work, and sometimes um, you get to learn about their personal lives. Like in the case, I, when I walked in here, I saw... W. Gene Smith's Shadow and Substance, which I think is probably one of the best biographies I've ever read on any photographer. But the insights I got into mm, into true. the images as a result of reading that book were just invaluable. That 900-page book. <laughs> and well worth the read if anyone hasn't. It's out of print, but pick it up on, on eBay or something. It's, it's, it's a fantastic book. So you certainly learned a lot up from her besides photography. So what, what were some of the takeaways from you that you felt were indispensable in your career as a photographer? She always said that, that it was really important to, to be excited about what you're working on. And if you have a project that to, it just feels like a, another day's work uh, that isn't very exciting, then you shouldn't be doing that project. That you should, mm. should, you should really love what, what you're working on so that you wake up and you can't wait to go work on it. Um, she thinks people should always have, she thought people should always have personal projects. Uh, she, she, I remember one thing, or I'm not sure if I remember it, but I remember reading it in the journal. I think this is one of the greatest things she said to me. I was working, uh, as a freelancer for the local newspaper. It was a weekly, just a small town newspaper, but it was a big deal for me. And she said one day to me, she says, I want you to work for the observer like it's the biggest thing you'll ever do. She says, because it's really important experience and just take it on. And I thought, that was such good advice. She just, she gave good advice. She was a difficult, uh, she was, I, I, she, she wasn't a, a warm, fuzzy person. She was a difficult uh, woman to, to live around sometimes because her mood, she had mood swings. But she was very sweet too. And, and so she and I really, uh, were fond of each other. Um, and, uh, and it was just a remarkable experience. I, I saw that you had were a photo editor at AP for for a while. So as well as being your own photographer, you had an opportunity to to work with other photographers to look at other work. What did that position provide you? That that was I was twenty five when I got that job, and it was the first real job um, out of college after Bernice and after a few other little things that I'd done. And um, it was a uh, it was a real eye opener for me. It was a corporate world. It was a, it was the Associated Press in New York City. Um, it was New York City. I'd just come from Maine or somewhere, I, some or Lake Placid. I think I'd just come from Lake Placid. I was there uh, for the Olympics, and I'd moved to to New York. Um, so everything was kind of uh, new. I'd been to New York before, so it wasn't that much of a shock. But it was a uh, it was shocking to live live there compared to where I'd lived before. I was making something like nine thousand dollars a year, so that was a little hard to to get by in New York, even even in nineteen eighty, and. Um, but the experience was wonderful because I, I was really on top of things. I I read three newspapers a day, and um, you had to, to to do your job well. And and uh, I felt really um, s smarter back then than than probably much of my life, just <laughs> 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 because I read so much and kept up on things. Um, I, I do the same now, but uh, not quite uh, three newspapers a day. <laughs> and so um, it was a. It was a really good experience. Um, I was an editor, you know, and I was one of the low low people on the the ladder. But uh, I I took it all in and learned a lot, and and it was a really good experience. 
I also learned that I didn't really want that kind of job again either. <laughs> and so uh, that's kind of why I moved on and, and freelanced for a number of years. And let's talk about the, the stories. I mean, part of photo, being a photojournalist, especially as a freelancer, is that you're doing more general assignment work. But as you said, the, the, the personal projects, the documentary work, um, the stuff that you're more invested in has to be a big part of of one's career and one's life in order to sort of sustain your passion for photography. So what uh, what did you find yourself gravitating to in terms of stories that you wanted to be able to, to tell with a camera? Well, for a number of years, I, I freelanced for various um, nonprofit groups and NGOs and religious uh, publications and I would uh, go away for a month or three months, or the longest I went away for was six months, and I would try to get a bunch of these groups uh, to give me a story or two so that I could scrape together a living to go do these things. And it meant a lot to me because I wanted to, I wanted to, to take meaningful pictures, and and I wanted to work on meaningful stories. One story, for instance, that I worked on was in India where I uh, photographed this train that had been converted into a hospital and they moved it from one rural place to another. They moved it by another train. And um, they, they, these doctors would come in, Indian doctors would come in and pr perform free surgery to children with polio and people with cataract blindness and middle ear deafness. And so I worked on that story for about a week and that was a really meaningful story and I got it published a number of times. And so that, that felt good to, to sort of... Sh show off this good work that's being done and, and also discuss various pr problems that still exist in the world, like polio. Um, and so that work really meant a lot to me. Um, when I came to L.A., um, I pretty much had to give up that kind of work because I, I couldn't be gone uh, for extended amounts of time like that anymore, and I started teaching more. Well, I, I was a college teacher for 16 years before I actually started this school, uh, the Julie Dean Photo Workshops. And so I was always freelancing and teaching, and that's how I was kind of scraping together my living. And um, um, and then when I started the school, then then my freelance work uh, pretty much ceased, with with a rare exception, just because there's no time, because there's I, we're, we're so busy doing everything here, and I'm doing a lot of teaching, and and so um, now the uh, now my projects are are not as socially concerned, though I I teach a, a class called photography for social change, which I love because all my students are working on very serious stories. Um, but now my own work has, has changed just by the nature of, of what's going on in my life. And, and so I'm working on a, a new project on uh, street photography in L.A. So it's something I can do while I'm home. And then I'm actually just uh, announced yesterday to my director, Brandon Gannon, I just <laughs> announced to him that um, I'm going to start a whole streets shooting series around the world, um, and there'll be travel workshops. So so that's exciting, because for the last 10 years, I've been doing a lot of street shooting around the world on a lot of travel workshops, but now we're just going to call it a series of street shooting, so it'll be fun. Oh, I, could, I could create an entire conversation of what it's like to be a street photographer in Los Angeles, yes. because that's it's a whole new set of challenges. Yes, Most is. people think about New York or Paris or, mm -hmm. you know, real walking cities. And there's a, there's a different experience shooting in the streets of Los Angeles. Yes, but that's is. a topic for another time. Yes. Um, let's talk about how the school began. Because you, you were teaching at a couple of community colleges and, 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 and elsewhere. What gave you the idea of starting a school on your own? And what were your hopes for it at the time? 
Well, good question. Um, um, I'm not sure I really thought it through too much back then. Is I, I when I first moved here, uh, I got a, uh, some jobs uh, teaching at various community colleges, and I'd been teaching a lot um, prior to that. So I, in total, I've had 16 years of college teaching experience, and then another 12 years here at the workshop. So 28 years of teaching experience so far. But what prompted me to actually start this place is when I first moved here, I started putting up eight and a half by eleven inch flyers around town, and it would just say "interested in taking a photo class," and it didn't even say what which one because I thought, well, mm-hmm. if I get enough people and they say I want basics, then I'll have a basic class. And so that's kind of <laughs> how it all started. I still have all these flyers that I put up, and one thing led to another, and I got a, couple, a little following of of people and of one particular group of women that I liked a lot, who were fairly affluent, and and so. Um, one day I sort of woke up and, and was having a hard time paying the rent once again, and I just went, you know, I, this freelance world is killing me. It's just killing me off, you know, because it's, it's so just stressful sometimes. And when you, you know, you're trying to do humanitarian work and it's really hard to make a living. And and so so um, I just said, you know, I, I, I got to do something so that I don't live like this any longer. I've been living like this for like 25 years. And so I um, said, well, I think I'm going to start my own school. So I called up one of my friends, one of these women friends, um, and I, and said, "Would you, would you be? I know a bank wouldn't touch me at that point." Um, and so uh, I asked her if she would lend me some money to start the school, and she said, "Write me a proposal," and I did, and she said yes, and she lent me a, a small amount of money, and that's how I started the school, and uh, it started with ten classes all taught by me. It wasn't too long, maybe within the year, uh, that I realized. There's, there's, uh, it, it all the the expenses are so great. I need um, more classes, and and I'm already working 100 hours a week. So I, that's when I started bringing other people in. So the original idea was just all I wanted to do was teach. If I would have had a garage in the back of my house, I would have. Ha- that's where I would have started my workshops. I just wanted to teach. And then what happened was I started the workshops, and then all of a sudden I had to run the business, and mm-hmm. and I was teaching. But the running the business part wasn't nearly as much fun for me and so now finally 12 years later I have this remarkable team of people who run the day-to-day part of things which allows me to teach more and then work on some of my own projects too and I'm working on books like that Bernice Abbott book it's called The Last Apprentice and and um, a variety of other things so that's kind of how much how it started and so who who dreamed that we we'd be where we are right now I just uh, my my dad always said I was born under a lucky star and I think he was right (laughs) Well, that's a fantastic story. I think it, people are always curious about how they sort of make a life in photography. And one of the things I emphasize a lot is that there's not just one path. There's oh, not just sure. one way. <laughs> that if you want to make photography a part of your life, it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to have a big commercial studio or have to be a big wedding photographer. That you can find a way mm-hmm. to keep this passion alive. And I think that uh, what you do here uh, is plays a, lot, a big role in that. Well, I, I love I love this place because um, my students from you know 20 years ago could tell you 28 years ago could tell you that I I love bringing people together under my roof, and it's just now that I have a bigger roof I can bring more people together, and it's just it's just it's just wonderful. And now we have this big space that we can share, and people can come use the dark rooms and the digital lab and the studio and the events they can have the events and galleries, and it's it's just so exciting to to have a space to to share with people. Well, you you started the the workshops when you were in Venice, is that right? Mm-hmm. And now you're here in this new facility in in Hollywood. Tell us about this new facility and what uh, this new building offers people 
who are interested in taking workshops. Okay, sure, I'd love to. The um, we were at the beach for uh, twelve years, and we loved that. We had two different places, and we loved both of them. Um, one was small, and then one got a little bigger, and and uh, basically we kind of ran out of space, and parking was a problem at the beach, and so um, and at the same time I, I took on a partner because I wanted to grow, and I couldn't do it on my own. Um, and my partner is Barrett, and uh, partners is our Barrett and Le- Vic Lepagian, who own A and I Lab, um, and so so this was our first uh, big step together was to to move to a six thousand square foot space and uh, uh, build a traditional dark room. It's just the most beautiful dark room I've ever had in my whole life. I'm so excited. And a digital lab and a, a big studio, and it's two galleries and three classrooms. And so we're really excited about this space. And it's, uh, you know, more than, let's see, more than, way more than twice uh, bigger than our last space. So so we have lots of, lots of room and lots of uh, room to share. Uh, we have membership uh, membership so people can come use the space for real inexpensive and uh, inexpensively so we're really excited when i see some of the names in your catalog of who you have teaching here it's 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 quite a roster we're very excited Um, about that tell us about you know i know that it that it's developed over time but tell us about um the importance of those relationships to to your success as a school Everybody always says yes when I call them up and ask them, which is, well, I shouldn't say everybody because some people can't, don't have time, whatever. But everybody I know says yes. <laughs> some of those that I don't can more easily say no. But um, um, I've developed uh, new relationships, too, with people, that I, um, uh, which have been wonderful, and they're coming back every year, every couple of years. And, and uh, my staff is also developing wonderful relationships with, uh, with all these folks who are coming in. We have uh, more than 160 workshops a year, and I suppose uh, we probably have about, I don't even know, I should count, maybe 60 different teachers. Wow. Not sure. Maybe I'd have to, I need to check the index page about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I think one of the things that's, that's really interesting is that you're at a time where there's an explosion in the interest in photography, and and I think people are appreciating the value of education. I think that you demonstrate here that the importance of having that one-on-one time about being able to have a certain number of hours or days dedicated to just doing the work to the exclusion of everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, and I think some people don't, who have never done a workshop understand that. You know, sitting there in front of a computer and watching a YouTube video or putting in a DVD it's a very different experience than having the opportunity to sit down with someone who's accomplished mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and getting completely immersed in it. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's really important to to be inspired by those around you, and and uh, and and you can learn from everybody in the class, and you learn from the teacher. And so, I think that an intense workshop, be it a weekend workshop or a one week workshop or even a one day workshop, is it, it, where people just devote your, their time totally to that. is is a wonderful way to sort of I don't know, embrace photography and think nothing about nothing else except that right while you're while, while you're working on it and I think that's that's really a good thing I, I love week-long workshops we don't do a lot of them here but we we do in our travel workshops and um, that those are really intense because for 40 hours a week that's all you do is photography uh, we're, we're going to uh, we've got a really wonderful program happening in Antigua Guatemala the end of January 2012 for a week we have our own campus there and, and it's a beautiful little town, a cobblestone town. It's a 
uh, World Heritage Site, and it's just a beautiful place. And we're we're basically having a photo festival where we're featuring four workshops: Greg Gorman, Joyce Tennyson, Phil Borges, and myself. And they're all week-long workshops. So by day you're with one teacher, and then by night we have something planned every evening so that the whole group gets to hang out together. Oh, wow. So it's going to be so much fun. And so that kind of intense week together just doing photography is is just the best it's just the best because you know you leave everybody at home and you know your family at home and in your work and and you just go and you just concentrate on photography and that's really really fun i'm sure that you learn yourself as a result of being there uh, how important has it been being around these people not just the other instructors not only the other photographers or one of the students what has it meant to you in terms of you and your own work to to be an educator to be around other people who are educating people on photography and and the students themselves i think uh, as a teacher i think being a teacher is 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 a wonderful vocation because you learn so much all the time and uh obviously i'm supposed to be helping teach people uh but while while i'm at it i'm i'm learning from them too and that's a that's a wonderful thing so i learn from people everybody who comes in here our work study people and our our students and our the other teachers i wish that people have asked me do you ever take workshops well, yes, I don't have much time to take too many of them. I would like to take all of them if I could because I know I would learn something from everybody who walks in here to teach. But there's only so much time to, 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 to be here and, and to take all the workshops too, so I have to be very picky about what I can take. But I think that we all help each other and learn from each other. There are a lot of workshops throughout the country, even across the world, where people are you know, putting out their banner and saying, take our workshops and... And I think it's kind of intimidating for some people to try to discern which one to take, who to take it with. Mm -hmm. So what do you think are some of the important considerations people have to make when they're trying to make the choice about where and who to study with? Well, I think if I were going to take, say, a weekend workshop with one of our big legendary photographers flying in, and if I were going to fly in and I'm going to spend a lot of money, I might make a phone call to here and, and talk to somebody, make sure it's the workshop for me. And we're totally happy to do that. And, and, um, and, and often we even put the, that person in touch with the uh, teacher if they want to make sure it's the, the right class. Cause we really don't want people to be unhappy. We want to make sure that we get them in the right, in the right class. I think one of the other things I wanted to touch on with respect to that is that I think that a lot of people feel they feel sort of insecure in terms of how much they know or what they don't know. And I think, you know, I think even people who've been doing it for a while don't know everything. Sure. So I think that part of uh, some reticence in terms of throwing themselves into a group dynamic is that sort of insecurity that you feel like I'm going to be the one in the room that knows the least. And from my own experience, anytime I've taught a workshop or a class, there's a, a wide range of experience. So I think, I think it's important to sort of touch on how, at least in here, do you deal with the fact that within any given class, you're going to be dealing with a variety of different experience levels. I think the Photoshop classes are the biggest problem with that because people are so vast in, in how much they know or don't know when they take Photoshop classes. I know that those teachers find themselves uh, sometimes frustrated because this person knows a little bit more than this person. and So I think that can, can be um, uh, 
more complicated than photography of the past. Uh, I, but in my classes, like I teach basics, so everybody comes in pretty much on the same level. Now I have the photography for social change class, and I, I teach a class that I love called the is a street shooting in L.A. class, and people do come in at different levels in that in that class, but they know that that it's it's not a basic photography class and they aren't supposed to ask those kinds of questions. So what what those people have to do is just learn on their own if they don't know certain things. They have to learn by listening to everybody in the class or ask me at break time or afterwards or something um, because it's not a basic class. So if somebody has those kinds of questions, they just have to ask me at the right time versus in the middle of the class. Um, and But most of the time that isn't even the problem is it's it, there because most of them most of them are pretty intermediate when they take those classes, and so they know their equipment well, and and so they're mostly on the same level. I really do think it's the the, the Photoshop and the printing classes that are probably um, you get more of a, a, a variety of of skill. Uh, one of the things you probably encounter in terms of street photography is problem is people's reticence about photographing people. They're taking a street photography course because they want to make pictures of people. But they're intimidated the idea of approaching people or photographing people. So, what's your what's your secret in terms of people getting over that over that fear? Because I know a lot of people uh, who want to make those kind of images but don't dare do it. Well, you have to be a little braver than you normally are in real life, as as, as far as uh, approaching people that you don't know. And I mean, there's two ways to shoot on the street. You can shoot sort of secretly so that people don't know that you're shooting or you can actually approach people um either way if you want to do street portraits and you want to actually work with somebody on the street for a while then you obviously need to approach them i always people say to me well i I feel bad taking people's pictures and uh, because like maybe i'm interrupting their day or something and i said well that's where that's where the problem lies i said you have to change your thought process because if you if you think you're annoying somebody then no wonder you're nervous about photographing them why don't you make it that you're going to have a nice moment together and then you make this person's day by complimenting them because you're probably taking pictures of them because something's cool about them they got a great hat or lights good on their face or whatever has made you want to photograph them tell them and make their day and then have a nice moment and and so all of a sudden taking somebody's picture doesn't feel like you're taking something away you're you're having a nice moment with somebody, and and if you change your thought process around, then it's a whole lot easier to approach somebody on the street. One of the challenges uh, I'm sure of having a business is finding time to make your own photography, mm-hmm. and especially since you're a street photographer, it's not like New York where you walk off the stoop and you start walking around. This is a car culture here, and I experience that same challenge because it's like I have to drive somewhere in order to go make images. Well, Which yes. is frustrating. So I, I, I'm really curious to hear from an L.A. street photographer who runs a successful business, what do you need to do in order to make those opportunities for you to go out and photograph? Well, it's a lot easier when I'm teaching a class because we have a van that comes and picks us up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when I go on my own, I, it's a lot of walking because I was just on my way to work this morning thinking you know, I'm going to do um, La Brea from like almost at the 10 all the way down to like Pico because it's a great stretch. There's a lot of people walking and, and it's great light in the morning. And so that means maybe even farther north than that. And so if I go several miles, that means I'm going to, 
I'm going to either have to call my staff and tell them to come pick me up, which they probably aren't going to have time to do, right? Or I'm going to have to walk all the way back. So that's what you just have to, that's what you have to do. So La Brea is going to be a long walk for me. Um, Melrose is a, Melrose is a good street to walk on. But again, what you have to do is go down one side and come back on the other. So it doesn't feel so, so long, (laughs) but it's a lot of walking. It's, it's not like New York. You can then jump on a subway to, to get home. You got to walk back to your car. (laughs) You you were talking about, you've done this kind of photography all over the, all over the world. Um, what is it about that particular kind of work that really appeals to you? I mean, you've, you had experiences as a photojournalist where you're out there telling stories. You've, you've done socially conscious work. For you personally, what is the appeal of just walking out into the street and making and hunting for photographs? I had to come up with what was important to me. What kind of photography can I do that seems important? And, to me, I, I want to leave something behind, sort of historically, you know. So if I can take images that will mean something 100 years from now or 50 years from now because they're documenting a time and place, then then that's what I'll do. And so so since I can't do my socially concerned stuff uh, right now, not that I maybe won't again sometime, but I can't right now, um, then then I then I the street shooting really appeals to me because. I feel like I'm documenting a time and place, and and I love L.A. so much, and it's my city after so many years of trying to find where I wanted to live, that uh, it just seems an an important project for me right now. And and it's street photography is hard. It's it's been really good for my photography the last ten years of doing it, uh, because I was taking people on all these travel workshops around the world, and that's why I was doing so much street photography. And it's been really good for my photography because you got to be quick. You gotta be quick. You gotta be really quick and, and you gotta move fast and you gotta see well and you gotta be in good shape. And I think it also speaks to the idea that if you wanna be a really good photographer, you have to learn how to photograph in your own backyard. That's very true. And it's hard. I know uh, people used to say, oh, when we were on the beach, people would say, oh, I just can't take pictures of Venice Beach again. And so one of my, this is one of my, sort of teaching techniques because how do you look at your your old backyard the same how do you well here's one suggestion I I tell people is after having been in India for six months uh, years ago I came home kind of kind of somewhat thinking like an Indian so I, I, I got to thinking what would it be like if I if an Indian from India showed up in Venice for the first time ever in America and shows up in Venice how would they be seeing things through their eyes for the first time? So that's, so if you sort of step into somebody else's shoes or eyes, so to speak, and look through your old backyard, all of a sudden you'll see it in a new way. Yeah. Let me ask you this question because I'm really curious to hear your answer. Um, in Los Angeles, I, I think one of the things that I've perceived is that in terms of self-consciousness or self-awareness in terms of image is probably people here are sort of hyper aware of of that as opposed to other cities mm-hmm. so when you are out there making pictures of people how does that sort of play into how you choose to, to photograph them because i think people you know people all, always will dress in a certain way in order to how they appear but i think here in los angeles particularly in venice mm-hmm. where it's just uh, people there 
go to see and to be seen. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So how does that play into the images that you, you make of people? Because I'm sure it's different than if you go to Chicago or go right. to India. So mm-hmm. how, how do, what's your perspective on that as a street photographer? Most of the time when I'm working on the street, I like to do it without anybody noticing me. Uh, it's a little harder these days because of the big cameras. Uh, you know, all my life I've used Leicas, and they're nice and small and cute, sweet. People didn't seem to be nervous about them. Um, so it's a bit different now with the cameras. And I always have two cameras on me because I have two different lenses on. And so I'm. It's. It's. I, I try to be. A, um, I try not to be noticeable. Um, and and I just try to get my shots without people noticing. But if I actually s- do a street portrait, then obviously. They're noticing me. I probably have to ask them, um, and and so th- that's that's easy for me to approach somebody just because I've been doing it for so long, um, and and I I don't take advantage of people. I don't. So therefore, if I'm taking pictures of somebody, it's for a good reason, and I can tell them about why I'm taking their picture. You got great light on your face, or you're very handsome, or you know whatever I'm thinking about, and so um, that that's kind of easy the hard part sometimes is to to do it without people noticing you know it's hard to it's hard to get uh, those kinds of shots sometimes but those are often the best do you find that being a woman is makes it easier sometimes when you do have to approach people because mm-hmm. i know that people look at me and wear my hat and i know that i can come off a little bit intimidating so that that sort of changes how i approach people mm-hmm. my mm-hmm. tone of my voice mm-hmm. you know the way i sort of hold myself how is it for you in terms of all of that, your voice, your body language, when you are approaching people? It is a lot easier for women, I, I, I think. It has to be because we're, we're smaller and less intimidating than, than, uh, than men. Um, I mean, I think that if a woman photographer came up to me, I would probably immediately accept our conversation, and I might not uh, a man photographer, which is it's very interesting to think about. But... Um, I think that it's gotten me in all kinds of things all my life, uh, being a, a woman. Um, and then I, I'm not very tall. I'm only 5'4", so I'm usually shorter than everybody else. Back in the days that I was doing packed journalism, when I had a lot of journalists around me, I was always like in the front row because I was small. What, what, sometimes people wanted to help me because I'm like a damsel in distress or something. And some people just want to be nice. Some people want to be respectful because you're a female. Uh, I, I just think it's, 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 it's a lot easier, I, I think, as a female than it, than it is a man. I'm happy for that. So I take advantage of it. I don't take advantage of people. I just take advantage of, uh, being female, uh, and getting myself in situations. Um, cause how tall are you? You're like six foot. Something. No, I'm not even the worst. Oh. I'm about 5'10. Mm-hmm. But, you know, I still, and people have told me that I can come off a certain way. So it's like I have to I have to consider that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know even though I don't perceive myself that way I know other people do so I have to take that into sort of consideration when I'm sure, especially I when understand. I'm going up to complete strangers and yes. start talking to them mm-hmm. and wanting to make their mm-hmm. their photograph so well the last question I always ask is I ask the photographer uh, to recommend or suggest another photographer for our listeners to discover and explore on their own. And it can be anybody, someone you've long admired or someone you've recently discovered. So who would that photographer be and why? Would it be one of my teachers or one of anyone. my students or uh, anybody? Gosh. Well, one of my dearest friends and great, great, great contribution to the Julie Dean Photo Workshops and an amazing photographer is Aline Smithson. So I would probably recommend that you contact her. Uh, she's a fine art photographer. 
She's a mover and shaker in the fine art world. And she's a very, very popular teacher here at JDPW. Well, thank you so much for your time. It was a pleasure having the opportunity to talk to you. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening and helping to spread the word on the show. If you haven't already, I'd really appreciate you taking the time right now to write a review of the show in the iTunes store, which helps increase our ranking there. And donations of any amount are greatly appreciated as they help offset the cost involved in producing the show. Your past donations have helped me a great deal on improving and maintaining the audio quality, which has improved over the years. And you'll find a link to make a donation on the blog site. If you have any comments, please email me at thecandidframe at gmail.com or post a message on the blog at thecandidframe.com. You can also follow me on Twitter, Facebook, and now on Google+. This episode was edited by Martin Taylor, who you can find at theothermartintaylor.com. And I'm Ibarian X. Pirello, and this is The Candid Frame. Check out this show and more great photography podcasts at photocastnetwork.com. Photocastnetwork.com.